things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, the one and only Stephen A. Smith, coming at you as I love to do three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check for wherever you find podcasts, and you'll see No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. The theme for today, because I like to be inspirational at least every now and then. I like to be inspirational. It makes people happy. And contrary to popular belief, I actually like making people happy when it's appropriate to do so. But the theme for today is a very, very simple question. Are you a warrior for your dreams? I asked that question because one of the people that I'm going to have as a guest epitomizes what it's like to be a warrior for your own dreams. And it has propelled him to heights unseen, heights that he never dreamed would be possible. But it has happened for him. I'll get into that later. I started off with a question for you. How far are you willing to go to make your dreams come true? Answer that question, ladies and gentlemen. How far are you willing to go to make your dreams come true? Are you willing to study hard in school? Work overtime to get the job done? Wake up early to train and to get better and in better shape? Better health? Separate yourself from situations and people that actually hinder you? That are anchors in your life? Give up habits that prevent you from achieving your goals? Far be it for me to bring up this next person, but the American writer and humorist himself, Mr. Mark Twain. Yes, Stephen A. Smith is bringing up Mark Twain. He once said one of the greatest quotes I've ever seen. The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Listen to the second part of that quote. The day you find out why you were born is the second most important day of your life. Now, why is that? Because that is the day you found your purpose. Let me be clear. Knowing what your purpose is does not mean it will not frustrate you. It doesn't mean it will not challenge you. It doesn't mean it will not piss you off. At least sometimes. It just means that in spite of all that, you'll know fulfillment. Some find out early in life why they are here. I would know this. The late, great Kobe Bryant was a friend. Not the kind of friend he was to his contemporaries and people like that. I would never try to compare my relationship with him to what it's like with LeBron and D-Wade and other people like that. That's a fraternity. But in terms of a journalist, a reporter, and ultimately a commentator having a relationship with a player. We were pretty tight. 
He was drafted at the age of 17. 13th overall pick by the Charlotte Hornets in the 1996 NBA draft before being traded on draft night to the Los Angeles Lakers, where he played his entire career and went on to become one of the greatest NBA players in the history. He always talked to me about his frustrations. With the Lakers, especially when he considered leaving, when he asked to be traded, when he told the world, I don't care if they trade me to the planet Pluto. It was on the Stephen A. Smith radio show. That's where that happened. Kobe was focused on his dreams and his work ethic. Remember that? The mama mentality. Mama mentality was all about focusing on the process and trusting in the hard work when it matters most. Brian, in an interview with the Amazon Book Review back in 2018, listen to what he said. It's the ultimate mantra for the competitive spirit. It started just as a hashtag that came to me one day, and it's grown into something athletes and even non-athletes embrace as a mindset. He went on to say, hard work outweighs talent every time. Mama mentality is about 4 a.m. workouts, doing more than the next guy, and then trusting in the work you've put in when it's time to perform. Listen to this key sentence here, y'all. Without studying, preparation, and practice, You're leaving the outcome to fate. I don't do fate. Used to say that to me all the time. Venus and Serena Williams. Remember them? Compton, California. That's where they were from. Started playing tennis right there in Compton at the ages of four and five. Their journey included leaving Compton for Florida to train with the best coaches, enduring injuries, defeats, rude comments, career setbacks. But guess what? Both ladies went on to become GOATs in the sport of professional tennis. Facebook CEO and co-founder Mark Zuckerberg. Ever hear of him? Of course you have. He began building computer programs at a young age. By the time he was 12, he used Atari Basic, a programming language, to create a messaging program that he called ZuckNet. In his early teens at high school, Zuckerberg built another program called Synapse, which learned your music taste. According to funder and founders, Microsoft offered to buy it for $1 million. But Zuckerberg declined the offer. In high school, he also learned to read Hebrew, Latin, and Greek before being accepted into Harvard University. Facebook was born after he was approached by the Winklevoss brothers to build the program. He built the Facebook program in a week and dropped out of Harvard his sophomore year to commit his time to the company. Elon Musk. We do know him, right? At 12, the PayPal, Tesla Motors, and SpaceX founder had written code for a space-based video game called Blastar or Blastar. Blastar or Blastar. B-L-A-S-T-A-R, damn it. A software engineer at Google turned it into a working game. Today, the man's a multi-billionaire. No, by the way, he's the new owner of Twitter. All warriors for their dreams. What did you say? Listen, you're talking to one himself. Look at me. I love journalism. I attended an HBCU without a journalism program. At Wisconsin State, I majored in mass communications. Okay? I got a lot of attention because at Winston-Salem State, while I was playing on the team, I wrote that my coach needed to retire. It's a true story. I wrote that the coach needed to retire while I was on the damn team. Now, there was more to that story. He had some health issues, and I knew him personally and loved him dearly, and that's why I wrote it. But it still took courage to write it because I was going to speak my truth. I went to him. I approached him. I said, look, man, 
I love you. I can't watch you. You're going to drop dead on the sideline. I can't sit by and say nothing. I said, I'm going to write it. He said, well, go to F ahead. I don't give a damn what you write. And so you have it. That perhaps was the beginning of my career as what they would describe an outspoken journalist, okay? Me, I'm just being me. I see it as just speaking the truth, and I'm still speaking the truth more than 20 years later, every single morning on ESPN's first take. And with this very this very podcast, No Mercy. I can't imagine my life without this career. It's what drives me. It excites me. It frustrates, it frustrates the hell out of me at times. It does all of those things. It does all of those things. But it also motivates me. It keeps me going and growing and thriving. I found my purpose. I know what it is. It's having a voice. You may be saying, but Stephen A., how do I know? What my purpose is. Well, here's the answer to that. It's the thing that you do. What's the thing that you would do, even if you weren't getting paid for it? That might have a lot to do with it. Maybe it's the side hustle that you got going on. I don't know what it is. It's just that something that keeps you up at night. That's the best way to explain it. There's something that keeps you up at night and it's something that you would do for free if you could. That's how you know. That's a good indication. I know it can be scary to be a warrior for your dreams, but trust me, what's even scarier is if you leave here and don't do what you were put here to do. My challenge to you, my challenge to all of y'all, is to find a way to be a warrior for your dreams. My guest knows all about being a dreamer warrior. I'll talk to him. He's coming up next on No Mercy. Don't touch that dial. You won't want to miss this interview. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? My next guest is a former NFL linebacker who played five seasons in the league. He now co-hosts the daytime show The Talk and NBC Sports Entertainment reality show American Ninja Warrior. He is the author of Everyone Can Be a Ninja. Find your inner warrior and achieve your dreams. Please welcome to No Mercy, the one and only Akbar Bija. Uh, uh, I got to pronounce it. I, I struggle with this all the time. Baja yeah. Amelia. Uh, oh, you you had it. Baja Amelia. Baja Amelia. Yeah, there you go. Baja B. Miller. I did it. Yeah. I did it. What's going on, Aqua Man? How are you, man? How's everything? I'm doing good. You know, the biggest mistake you did is looking at it. You can't look at it. You got to commit it to memory. Because even for me, when I was in school and I would see it, I'm like, man, this is a lot of letters and a lot of A's and I's. <laughs> I feel you. I feel yeah. you. First yeah. things first, man. I, I mean, I, I'd like you to put into perspective how life is for you right now, because I, I, I want you know, listen, I think your story is incredibly inspirational and you've got a lot to say. and You've got a lot to offer the listeners out there everywhere. I just want you to talk about where you are right now in your life, how you're feeling about you. Man, that's a great question, man. That's one that, you know, you have to put some thought into it because, you know, when you're on the grind, sometimes you can be inundated with the grind. Uh, but, you know, just taking a pause, you know, I think for the first time in my life, I can honestly say that. I'm happy where I am. And uh, I think for for one is that, you know, I dreamt for a long time to to do TV talk show host, to be a TV talk show host. 
And last year to have my first year to be, you know, uh, a host on the talk with four others, it was like a dream come true. And, um, you know, doing Ninja Warrior now, just completed my 10th season on American Ninja Warrior, getting ready to go into my 11th. And I go, man, it's, uh, I'm in a good spot. And I say that because I think back to my NFL career, which, you know, was cut short. Um, and oftentimes when you're in it and you're living the dream, it's so easy to be uh, judgmental, to mm -hmm. want to want to be the best. And so right. you kind of miss that, that ride. And I told myself after that, I said, I will never miss the ride again. So if everything were to end for me right now, I can go, wow, like that was a great ride and have no regret that I did enjoy it. I think that's one of the things that I, again, going back to the NFL, I look back and go, I didn't get a chance to fully enjoy it because I was just trying to, you know, to be the best. And then boom, when it's over, you have to look back and reflect rather than going, man, during the time I actually, it was really fun. Talk to me about that for a second, because I obviously with my schedule, I often find myself, they call it smelling the roses. And yeah. it's rare that I take time to really, really smell it because you put your head down, you're on the grind, you got to get things yep. done. You got to get a lot of people yeah. dependent on you. you. You're trying to get things done. But if you had to reflect, especially on that time when you were going through what you were going through in the NFL, what was the low point for you where you were not smelling the roses and you couldn't just sit, sit back and really reflect on things in a very positive fashion? Do you recall when that time was for you? Yeah, I think it was my entire time. I had a short career in the NFL, but I think mm. for me, it's like I came into the NFL, you know, after my brother and my brother was, I mean, he's always been a rock star, you know, football player. KGB was his yep. nickname. And, you know, so coming into the league after that, and being an undrafted free agent, I had a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, I, I was always, I grew up with this love affair of Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali and Michael Jackson and Oprah Winfrey. I just, I wanted to be great. Like that was, that's what drove me, you know, especially coming from Crenshaw and South Central Los Angeles. Like I just wanted to be great. And so I was so fixated on that, that when things weren't working out, I was just constantly pushing myself. But then when I blinked and I opened my eyes, I was like, man, four years in the league went by like that. Um, mm. And I was a journeyman on top of that. So, you know, right. for every cut that I experienced, I had to go back into the lab and try to reinvent myself to stay in the league and then to eventually try to become great in the league. That didn't happen. But what I did take from that experience, which I'm always going to be grateful for, that experience is that, you know, I did something that a lot of people weren't able to do, which was make it to the NFL. Right. I never took the time to even stop and going, Mama, I made it, right? Mark Jackson, right? right? I, I didn't even get a chance Mama, to I say made that. It. Yep. Yeah, Mama, I made it. I, I never got a chance to, to do that. But I think today I can say, Daddy, Mama, I made it. Mm. You know, it's interesting you say that because I was getting ready to remind you. Yeah, yeah, you you were a journeyman in the NFL. I was a journeyman yeah. in college. So trust me, there's levels. You, you, <laughs> yeah, you made yeah. it to a higher level. Let's be very, very yeah. clear about that. You were in yeah. the National Football League. But give us some give us some intel on your background. First of all, let me ask you the obvious question about your name. You need to educate my listeners to what your name means. Obviously, it's got that Nigerian Nigerian background. What explain all of that to us? Yeah. So, you know, in the Nigerian culture, you're you're giving um, your name, it, you're named according to how you're born, when you were born. Uh, and so Akbar is Arabic for great. Oluwakemi Ido, like God gives me, you know, God brings me uh, not joy, but um, God is with me um, to translate. And then Ido means born after twins. My brother uh, Kabir 
is a, a twin with my sister. And so that's how you get the name Idowu. And then Baja Biamila means big man, come and save me. Mm. And, you know, in back home in Nigeria, my great, great grandfather was a seven footer. He was a mediator in the village. And mm. so whenever people would have issues, they would say Baja Biamila, like Baja Biamila, like big man, come and save me. And mm. so that turned in from a nickname to our last name. And so that's been a legacy and a last name that we have one line. There's not like a bunch of them. It's not like a, you know, a, a common last name. It's one family has that name. Uh, I was about to say Smith and I realized who I was talking to. <laughs> 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 I, like, oh, I, I had to make an edit in my brain. I had to cut myself you. out right there. But, I got uh, you. But, 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 but anyways, but uh, that's where the name comes from. It's a Nigerian name. And um yeah, you know, my brother, you know, again, I, so proud of him and everything he did in his career. Um, but he really put that name out there, you know, and um, and yeah, it's, it's a name that my father always told us when we were growing up. My dad would say, remember, you're an ambassador of the Baja Villamela family. So you mm. have to you have to carry that with pride because people are always going to remember if they can't pronounce it. They'll remember. I remember when I first read it to Anthony Anderson, side story. Yep. And he goes, I, I remember you. Yeah. You that guy with that name, that that that, that, that last name. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so, what was it like for you growing up in LA? Uh, uh, again, I don't want to use the word pressure because it, it just comes with it when it's family. It's family, and you carry that name. You carry it with pride. Obviously, yeah. there's a level of integrity and dignity and what have you that you have to carry yourself with because family always holds us to that standard. Uh, when when you think about that and growing up in L.A., particularly when you talk about the streets of, 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 of Los Angeles, California, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, there were a lot of pressures. I think one of the pressures was I think one of the driving forces and pressure was, you know, the gang mentality growing up in the 80s and 90s. And. Uh, my father wasn't, he wasn't very familiar with that. What is, what, what is this gang stop? You want, <laughs> you want to be a ganga banga, as he would say to me. <laughs> Dad, you mean gangbanger? Ganga banga. Yes, right. Um, and, uh, but he wasn't, he, he was a no nonsense. You know, there's seven of us that grew up in our household and my dad made sure that education was first and foremost. You ask any Nigerian, that's the first thing they're going to tell you. Your parents want you to be a lawyer, an accountant. And right. then the other thing was kind of a recreational thing to keep us off the street, which was sports. My parents never put a lot of value into it. Um, but you talk about pressure. I think that w- those were the two things. You had the, the street pressure, and then you had the pressure of being able to do better for yourself because of the conditions that we were in. And I grew up looking at guys like uh, your very own Keyshawn Johnson. You know, you know, he was, you know, a couple years, several years before me, but we all looked up to Keyshawn, Chris Mims, some of the guys who were in our neighborhood during that time. And we go, those are the guys who are, you know, who are leading the way and we want to follow after that. Um, mm. and, and so that was to me the, the thing I thought drove me the most and the pressure that I was most attracted to, the mm. pressure to, to do to be better than. Right. Uh, my parents came to this country from Nigeria to do better than their family. Mm-hmm. And the pressure was then put on to me to do better than my father and mother did. So how did your father feel about you becoming a professional football player? You and your brother. for the best. What, yeah, what, yeah. what did he feel about that? I, I think I got the better end of that because I was second. Uh, my dad didn't really get it. Like, you know, the idea that he would get a full paid scholarship to San Diego State. My dad was what? what I thought this was just a, uh, you know, fun, fun, because like, he didn't really get it. Well, what right. is, uh, oh, okay, you want to pay for his school, good, but you still have to come and become uh, such and such. And I don't think it was till my brother signed his first big contract where my dad was like, oh, 
this is a this is a big deal. This is a this is a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he still didn't get it until right. until my brother signed it. So by the time I came into the league, oh good, good job. I got right. I got I got the good job that my brother probably didn't get until later. You know, when we look at you now, and, and listen, I don't know if you notice or not, but Cheryl Underwood, I, I, I've i known her for many years. Yeah. That's my, that's my girl. Oh, that I haven't right? seen her in a while. That's my girl. You tell her I just sent, I sent my best to yeah, her. She, I haven't seen her in a while. I'm in my dressing room. Yeah, she's right next door to me. She's she in my dressing is, room. Yeah. She, she is special. That's my girl right there. She and I have known each other for years. But being on the talk, how did that come about for you? How did that happen? Well, so it was crazy. And 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 I'm just going to keep it 100 with you, man, because yeah. I, I, I know your flavor. It was crazy because I told my manager years ago that I wanted to do specifically the talk. But I thought, you know, that's probably a pipe dream Mm. because it was dominated by females. And Mm. so I knew that there was no real place. But I would find myself sometimes on a downtime arguing with the show where there are certain subjects. And I'm going, well, hold on. But how about this perspective? And so bringing and being able to elevate the male's perspective on, uh, on a show like this. And, but, you know, I just kind of put it in the back, like, you know, that may never happen. So, um, you know, there was an opportunity after, you know, you know, um, there was an opening for, for the talk and, uh, my manager calls me and say, Hey, Akbar, they have guest hosting spots at the talk. Do you want to go? I'm going a hundred percent. Right. So I did like six or seven, uh, shows and I was calling my, um, I was calling my then agent at the time. Um, and telling them, hey, like, hey, what kind of opportunities are out there? They had no idea that I was doing the talk. They had no wow. idea. They go, oh no, they're not. They're looking for some other women. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, like they said that they were interested. And so, yeah. long that's why story short, former agent. that's why they're your former agent. But that's yeah. for another day. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it, it, I think it's interesting because I almost didn't get the deal and. You know, I try to be transparent and read like an open book. And this is not to shame anyone or anything like that, but it's just, this is how it all worked out for me because you asked the question, which is then I go, okay, I told my agent, hey, they're interested, bring it home, like bring it home, like this is it. And it was only by the grace of God, Stephen A, that one of the stage managers I had worked with at the NFL Network for years. Mm. And she said, hey man, they haven't heard from you. I called my agent, my agent, my then agent said, oh, we, you know, they do the, you know, the, the agent talk and they talk yes. around you. Oh, yes. we're doing this and we're circling back and we're doing all this other stuff. Yeah. And I'm not, in that moment, I'm going, oh boy, my, I, my thought was they're probably trying to go all the way to the top, see who else they might be able to get and whatever, and then right. bring it back down to me. I immediately made, and this was the scariest thing I did in my career. I immediately fired my agent. Yes. Hired my very first agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've Mark done that myself. before too. I've yeah. done this. I, I was exactly what oh, I've done, done before. Yeah. On the spot. Oh, you got to go. On the spot. You got to yeah, go. You know, yeah. Sometimes you go for the bigger names and the bigger thing, thinking that they're going to bring more opportunity. And what I realized in this industry is you need people who have, you know, who have your back, who are going to advocate for you, who's going to try to get you into these rooms. And so, you know, I went back, hired my agent, my first agent, Mark Lepselter. And in two days, he brought the deal home. Two yeah. days. And yeah. later said, hey. And I know, know Mark, said by the had- way. I know Mark. Oh, you know Mark. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah, I yeah. Do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and he says, and oh, by the way, you know that had never heard from your representation at the time. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. Two weeks had gone by, and I would have lost that. But I bring that story again because 
there was an instinct. I think sometimes, oftentimes, there's luck, there's hard work, but there's also, too, that instinct that I had. And I had an instinct that I don't know where it came from. My dad always told me, it's God. If you feel something strong in your heart, it's God speaking to you. And I just said, in the moment, I made a, a rash decision to say, hey, I, I don't think that they're for me. And mm. boom, it was it was done deal. I'm a transition in a in a in a in a light way because it's really yep. touching on the same thing. Yep. You bet on yourself. You had mm. your instinct. You bet on yourself. And yep. there's so many of us that are scared. And and at some point in time, we might be a bit hesitant, a bit apprehensive, but the rubber hits the road at at one at some point where it's like, you gotta make this call. You got to make this move Uh, because if you don't, you'll never forgive yourself because you can feel this is your moment right here. And if you drop it, you drop it. And so I get exactly where you're coming from. But I asked this question with this in mind, as you reflect on that decision and where you are now, when you were a professional athlete, did you foreshadow this for yourself? Or did this all come about after your career was over and you found yourself saying, what am I going to do with myself now? Yeah. Yeah. Every, uh, the identity crisis, every athlete goes through this when you leave, no matter if you were a journeyman like myself in the NFL, or if you were a big name, when you've identified for so long, you know, I'm six, six. Um, actually, by the way, I saw you at a basketball game. I didn't introduce myself like that's Stephen A, but <laughs> um, you know, I was at a Lakers game and right. Kobe Bryant was coming out and you were coming out. I, was like, oh, damn, Steven. I didn't know you were tall. Like, I, I didn't, I, <laughs> I'm about I six, one and a half. I'm six, one, yeah, six, yeah, one and a half. Yeah. yeah. I thought I, on TV, I thought you were like five, six, five, seven, man. Cause yeah, I'm all yeah. legs. I'm all legs. I sit yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um, you know, you, you go through this identity crisis when you leave and transition out of the league. And uh, I remember for me, I thought to myself, what am I going to do? I was hurt. I was depressed. Um, I had only done this for all of my life. And this is the story for every athlete, I think, when they transition, trying to figure out what's next. But what I got my degree in at San Diego State was in new media studies. I knew from the very beginning when I started out in college that this is something I wanted to do. This wasn't something that I like. I really I didn't know how I was going to do it, though, Stephen A., and the biggest thing for me was I was insecure. I was insecure because I didn't have a big name. Who wanted to hear from me, right? Like you're, you know, you're an undrafted free agent. Why, why would we want to hear from you? Because did you know a lot of these networks collect big names, right? Um, they don't necessarily look for talent. So you know, bringing it back to betting on me, I decided that you know I had a cup of coffee at the, with the San Diego Chargers. I played at San Diego State, so I was going to go back to where I had the quote-unquote most equity, most fame. I went back to San Diego. I knocked at the local NBC store, a uh, store, excuse me, NBC station, and I said, hey, could I do the post game for the Aztecs and the Chargers, and I'll do it for free, knowing that that would allow me to jump in front of anyone who might say, hey, you know, as a big ego athlete, pay me. And they go, for free? Sure. And I did it for free for two years. And it was that that really started to jump off my career, uh, which was betting on me and figuring out. And that was my internship really coming out of college was working for free for two years at the local NBC doing the post game. And then that led me into calling college football games. And that led into getting the NFL network um, as, a, as doing fantasy football. And then from there um, led to, to the uh, American Ninja Warrior.
the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Another similar story, because coming out of college, I worked for free. To get in the newspaper industry, um, I I was an editorial assistant doing calendar items, birth listings, school lunch menus during the day. And at night, I covered high school sports for free. No. I covered that for free. That's how I got started. You got to tell me, because I don't know, what was your big break? Because once you hit the scene, you never left the scene. What was your big break? And when did you bet on yourself? Well, for me, for me, it was like this. Um, I started out, I ultimately went, I, I left uh, Greensboro News and Record. I went to the New York Daily News as a high school reporter. And then after just 14 months on the job, I broke a couple of big, big stories. And everybody was telling you, you got to wait your turn, wait your turn, wait your turn. But the opportunity was there for me to go to the Philadelphia Inquirer to be a college beat writer. And it was going to be to cover John Cheney. And I didn't listen to anybody tell me I wasn't ready for it. I believed in myself and knew I was ready. And I just went for it. And my career took off from there, covering colleges. And then three years later, I was covering Allen Iverson in the NBA. And then six seasons after that, I was in four seasons after that, I was an NBA columnist. And then six, then two years after that, I was the 21st African-American to be named a general sports columnist in this country's history. Because you don't usually have, see this. This is the this is before Twitter, Facebook, yeah. Instagram, and all of this other stuff. This is when you had to go through reporting and investigation and features and all of that stuff to have a Real license journalism. to editorialize. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. why I say they can't tell me nothing because I know what I had to go through to get here. It wasn't no Twitter. Right. It wasn't ESPN. Dot coms didn't even exist back then, Akbar. Dot coms wasn't even in existence. So I had to go well, out on, there and break stories. I'm fifty five years old. I'm 55. This is this this is. I started at the Philadelphia Inquirer in 1994. I got named the general sports columnist in 2003. So that's how that's how long ago this that's was. A, that's 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 an amazing that's an amazing that's an amazing journey because oftentimes I think you know people see the final product. Like for as long as I can remember, you've always been a fixture, and so I think it's important. Your story is so important because. It just kind of like, oh, well, you're Stephen A. Smith. Like people forget, like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. oh, hold on. You know, there was a well, journey. I, I, go ahead. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, I got my book, my memoir coming out in January and I tell all of that. But I always think of that. And this especially is applicable to you, too, as well. So many people want to look at the finished product. They want to look at Michael Strahan. They want to look at Nate Burleson. Now it's you as well, right? Because y'all are the three guys right now that we see as African-Americans on national television in those formats and those positions, all well-earned, by the way. And what I'm big on doing is making sure they know your story before you got there. Because too many people want to act like, you know, you, you didn't put in the work in order to get to where you are. And I think it's very, very important that everybody knows what you had to endure to get to that place. Yeah, and no, I, I appreciate that. You know, you know, I think the biggest thing that I had to endure was also too, and you know, and congratulations too on the book. Um, you know, I, I, you know, ever since I wrote my own book, you know, I, I realized how hard it is. So, just know I'm I'm buying a copy, um, you know, of of your of your book. But you know, like that that journey for me too had a lot to do with insecurity. You know, and that's something sometimes we can get in our own way. And for me, there were times that I almost sabotaged my own uh my own success because of insecurities um i remember my first year on american ninja warrior the fact that you know 
uh, it was new to me. That that type of television was new. This was entertainment television, and so some of it was you know presenting and you know being able to call the game as it happens. And uh, so I had to learn a new muscle. But I remember my first day, Stephen A. I couldn't remember a line. They handed me these scripts and was like, "Here's your stand up, memorize it." I'm like, you know, you got makeup in front of you, you got wardrobe knocking at the door, producers coming in and out of your room. I'm going, yo, like. And then they say, you got to memorize this. You got 20 minutes. It was a complete disaster. I said, hey, guys, do you think we can do teleprompter? They go, yeah, that's a great idea. Great idea. <laughs> the next day they bring in a teleprompter. Stephen A., I can't read a teleprompter. Not that I can't read. <laughs> right. I didn't know the mechanics. And I was like, and then I'm reading words that aren't mine. And on the inside, I felt so dumb. I felt like I didn't deserve this. I felt like a phony, a fake. How did I get here? How'd you overcome it? How you overcome those insecurities? You, you know what? It, to me, it was something that I learned from sports, le- learning and managing many crises, because that's what sports prepares you for. And so for me, it really was, and I know it sounds very cliche, but I just kept pushing through because on the other side of that fear and that embarrassment of not being able to read in front of you know a large audience and not being able to perform in front of a large audience, I stuck to what I knew I could do best. And I think what made me pop on American Ninja Warrior was my colorful commentary with the ninjas and my natural and authentic reaction. They go, okay, we have something there. So coaches used to always say, control the controllable. The one thing I knew I could control was the thing that I could do the best. And that's what, follow my eyeballs. Whatever I saw, I reacted and respond in an authentic way. And the rest of that stuff, I I mean, that next season, uh, first off, I shook the hands of everybody after the the season was over, after my, that was season five. I shook everybody's hand knowing that this is it. And um, they brought me back. Man, I hired a coach, uh, um, you know, an acting coach, a speech coach. Uh, I learned how to read a teleprompter. Mm-hmm. I tried to give myself the opportunity to succeed for the following season. And 10 years later, here I am. Well, you're doing a great job. No doubt about Thanks, that. Let me get to your book for a second here. Everyone okay. can be a ninja. Find your inner warrior and achieve your dreams. Tell me about that title. Yeah, everyone can be a ninja. It's such an intimidating show to watch when you watch American Ninja Warrior. But what I love about American Ninja Warrior, it's a microcosm of life. Every obstacle, you're going to have every obstacle in front of you, right? And it's about how you overcome it and being able to get down and finally hit that buzzer in life. And so, you know, you look at the course and you go, hey, there's 10 major obstacles. What are you going to do? What are the obstacles in your life? So I put out in 10 chapters some of the major obstacles that I went through some of the major obstacles that some of the ninjas that I've known uh, over the years have gone through and some friends um, like uh, Allison Felix, you know, and obstacle she became to become a, you know, uh, obviously an elite Olympian and of course gold medal, um, gold medalist. And so I go through some of these stories in hoping to help people know that sometimes life can look intimidating like a ninja warrior course, right? But then it's your starting it's your grind and it's your finish. You know, people will say, hey, it's, you know, it's how you finish. But don't forget about the grind to get to that finish. And don't don't forget about how you start, right? Because all those things, I think, match up. And so it's the underdog path to success, how to work your way through life's obstacles, because you will get them. There's no denying them, right? There's no denying it. And once you're able to get it, then you hit that buzzer. And being able to take time, and I thought it was the most important thing, which goes back to you know the beginning of what we we're talking about, being able to recognize in your life when you've hit those buzzers in your life. 
sometimes we just plow through. We, you know, for whatever reason, we're uncomfortable. We kind of just sweep it on. Oh, yeah, that's cool. It's not a big deal. Like, no, like you <laughs> should be able to say what I did was a big deal. Right. Like and that shouldn't come off as arrogant. What advice would you give to a former professional athlete who's hit that point in their life, in their career? The career is ending, wondering what they're going to do, Ooh. finding finding that inner warrior inside yeah. of themselves. What advice would you give that athlete specifically? Because that's different from the accountant. That's different from the lawyer. That's different right. from the doctor or somebody else. I'm talking about what you used to do. What advice yeah. would you give them? Well, I would tell them that your net worth is associated to your network. And I'm not talking about net worth as in just money, right? Some people hear net worth and they just think money. Like your net worth, everything that's a total of who you are has a lot to do with your network, your family, your the businesses. One of the biggest things that I think athletes waste, a lot of people think, oh, athletes blow their money. No, 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 no. What I believe that a lot of athletes do when they're playing in their playing days and in their high earning days and their visibility days and the biggest platform days is they waste their network. They think that they are bigger than their network. So, you know, if you're the, and trust me, Stephen A., if you are on the team, you could be the 53rd man on the roster and you call the CEO of whoever, Nike, Skechers, uh, any brand, I don't care what the brand is, and you say, hey, I'd love to meet with the CEO. They're going to meet with you because it's going to be odd. Like, such and such wants to meet with me? Like, why? You're a week or two weeks, and you say, hey, I used to play with such and such. I'd love to take a meeting. You get the secretary. <laughs> you get the secretary, and you get this laundry list of things that you got to do before you can Connection even try to, to get Connection, Connection to the brand. Connection to the brand is what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And so maximize the platform. But I think so many guys are, you know, they're reading their own ink. They fill in themselves way too much. And so they go, I'm not reading. They want me. Like, no, no, you better remember that there's a life outside it. Because these guys, when we're talking about businesses, and you got to find too, where is it that you want to go after you're done? And then start to create those relationships. I'll, it's a true story. And I, I just have to say this. Sure. I was looking for, um, you know, as I was going through and trying to navigate which direction I want to go to through in entertainment and sports and all that. And I remember I walked into this production company, massive production company. Um, and uh, I'm waiting at the front desk and I'm putting my head down and I look up and I take a step and I bumped into Troy Palomalu. Ah. And Troy Palomalu yes. is, I mean, he's got about two or three years left in his career at that point. And this is the summertime. I'm like, what the heck? are you doing here, Troy? He right. goes, oh, you know, and it's very soft voice. Oh, I'm just, you know, interning, just trying to learn the biz. I'm like, wait, what? And I was like, Troy Palomalu gets it. And I met with the uh, the CEO of the production company or the president of this, uh, the production company. And he was a USC grad. I'm like, see, that makes sense. It was all about, it wasn't about the fact that he's a hall of, you know, you know hall of fame or, you know, ha had a hall of fame career and all this other kind of stuff. It was about none of that. It was the connection to the university that he went to. And he capitalized on that by creating those relationships, knowing that perhaps this is an area that he wants to go to. So I would tell any guy, like, don't think you are bigger than the platform that you've been blessed with. If you are on this platform, utilize that and try to start thinking in your playing days what you want to. A lot of players are afraid to think about what's next because 
there's finality. And I get that. That's a real struggle. There's a finality to thinking about if I say what's not next and acknowledge what's next, I'm somehow giving up on my career. Well, I'm here to say that there's those two things don't have to be, it, it, they don't have to be the same. You know, uh, you can focus on life after football and still be very present in football. Isn't it possible to say that when the roar of the crowd dissipates, it's still possible to be even happier in your post-playing career? Because once that's over, you got the rest of your life to look forward to. Whereas when you were playing, you knew there was a period at the end of that sentence that was coming sooner than later. Because obviously yeah. you can't be an athlete forever. Isn't that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, it's hard to say, though, because there's nothing more intoxicating than the roars of 100,000 people you know, cheering your team on or cheering you on. But I think if you attach what you said with purpose... Yes, there's nothing that can compete because when you have purpose, when you know exactly what it is in your why and what you want to do, I think that's when you go, wow, like this is big. Like I feel like what I'm doing now, I'm adding value, right? There's a, there's a, um, there's a purpose that I have. There's something that I sought after that I'm doing. And so, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I do feel like I'm winning even more so than I was when I was in the league, if that makes sense, you know? You are. You are. Yeah. I'm here to tell you that right now. I'm proud of you, appreciate my brother, it. and I love this conversation. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me, and I look forward to seeing you soon. I'm a, I, I might call Cheryl. I might show up on the talk in January. I might show I was up on the say, talk. No, no. Can, can can like after this whole thing, whatever. Please, man, if I can get your information, I'll send it over to like sure because we need to have you on on the show, man. Are you serious, I, man? Definitely, I'll come. I'll come on there when my book comes out. I gotta, I gotta go all over the place. I will definitely come on to talk just to okay. see y'all. No okay. question about it. All right, consider I'm, I'm it putting, done. I'm putting it on our um on our bookers list right now, man. Get right. Stephen A in the house. Pleasure, my brother. Thank you all so right. much. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Wanna thank Mr. Akbar Baja Amelia. Baja Amelia. I think I got that right. If I don't, I apologize again. I got it right when he was on the phone with me, damn it. When he was on the line with me. I got it right then. Uh, but, you know, he's a true inspiration. Let's give credit where credit is due. The Talk is a hit show. My girl Cheryl Underwood has been on there for years. I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, she's a good person, far better person than people realize, that people know. Um, she's a good woman, a great comedian. Um, and he's doing a hell of a job along with the rest of the show. Let's just give credit where credit is due. But to also be a former athlete, uh, to be as open and as forthcoming and, in, and as enlightening as he was about the challenges of being that football player, striving to be the best, make your family proud, yourself proud, living up to the reputation your brother established before you because he was in the NFL before you, uh, to have all of those pressures and then to acknowledge that you're a journeyman, to finish your career, have your career cut short, and then to wonder what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And then to go from there to hosting a hit television show, American Ninja Warrior, to, to being a co-host on The Talk, uh, to having a book, um, you know, what do you say? You know, you just got to give credit where credit is due. He's on his grind. And 
you know, complacency is not a part of his language. The book, Everyone Can Be a Ninja, Find Your Inner Warrior and Achieve Your Dreams. You know, what that title meant to me was that this is a guy that's made it and basically said that he can now step back and smell the roses and appreciate what is he, what he's accomplished. What did he use? What did he say? Mama, I made it. You can say, Mama, Daddy, I made it. Couldn't say that before, but he could say that now. And it's a beautiful feeling. I can tell you myself, it was a special, special feeling. Um, you know, when I first did, quite frankly, for ESPN2 years ago, being able to sign that contract and drive straight to Queens and tell my mother she wouldn't have to work anymore, that she was officially retired, it was the greatest moment of my life. Um, my biggest regret is that, obviously, over the last, that was 17 years ago, and over the last 17 years, I've achieved a level of success beyond my wildest dreams. I don't just have a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I own it. This is mine. I'm in control of content. I have employees working for me for crying out loud. I never thought that would happen. You know, in the meantime, you know, I've got a hit show on ESPN. that has been number one for 11 years and counting every day for 11 years and counting. And not only am I the star of the show, I'm the executive producer. And you don't see stuff like that happening. But the biggest thing is, is that with the fruits of my labor finally being something that I can enjoy, the person that I would have allowed to enjoy it because I don't spend time enjoying it. I got my head down. I'm on my grind. I do what I do. But I certainly would have come up. I would have lifted up my head and exhaled to some degree to make sure that mama enjoyed the fruits of my labor. That was my greatest joy. You know, I said my mother, you know, at her funeral, you know, I forgot how many cruises I sent her on. She told me it was 26. That's what they wrote in her obituary. 26 cruises. That was a big, big thing. I never get one of the stories that I often joke about with a lot of people. My mother called me for, and, 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 I, and I heard the ocean in the back. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm in the middle of the Mediterranean. I said, well, what, 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 when were you going to tell me? She said, I figured you'd know when you got the bill. That's exactly what she said. And I never forgot that. And boy, does she mean it because I got the bill. That was a hefty bill too. But for her, it was worth it. And the joy that you get when you talk about smelling the roses, smelling the roses ain't like taking time back to exhale and say, look at what I've accomplished. It's about being able to do the things that you want to do for the people you love to do things for. You know, you have children like I do. Your joy is being able to provide for them, to know that they'll never have to, you know, endure the life that I endured growing up. Knowing how hard my mother worked and how much she persevered to get me to where, to, to, to any place that I could be. All she wanted me to do was be a law-abiding, productive citizen. That was my mother's dream. If I had a nine-to-five job and I was a law-abiding citizen, that's all my mother cared about. That's that West Indian roots getting at you. Me. I dreamed of something more, but she enabled me to dream because she got me to that point where I could dream bigger dreams. And Akbar talking about his parents, his mom, his dad, that's where he gets it from. And that's where he's encouraging all of us to get it from. So let's remember that as we march ahead, as we recognize and we celebrate people in order and things that they do. Yeah, you'll hear me on this podcast going to hell off about certain things that need to be gotten, that need to be gotten off about. 
You heard me talking about politicians on Capitol Hill. Damn right, I meant it. They need to act better and act like more grownups. You hear me talk about Kanye West and some of the stupidness he did, you know, at least over the last several weeks. Not taking away from his brilliance, but talking about how he's compromised that brilliance. Akbar don't sound like somebody that's trying to compromise anything. What did he talk about? He talked about the brand. Don't forget the brand you represent because that's always bigger than you. People who think they're bigger than the brand, that's not always the wisest decision. What analogy did he give? You working for a corporation, you working for a company, you working for a team in his case. And you call a CEO and you say, I'm a member of the Green Bay Packers. Can I meet with you? You got a far better chance of somebody opening the doors to grant you that meeting than if you say, I'm a former player for the Green Bay Packers. It matters. Associations matters. Relationships matter. Partnerships matter. It ain't all just about you. It's about who you represent and who allows you to represent them and the relationships they have and how you can springboard from that. Okay? My producer, Greg, you know, he was enjoying the Lakers. Lakers, Golden State, open at night. Well, damn it, how you think he got to the Lakers game? He didn't pick up and call the Lake uh, Golden State Warriors and got into the sold out, you know, Chase Center in San Francisco. No, 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 no. Your boy Stephen A got him in there. You understand? Connections matter. Relationships matter. This is the way things go. You got to understand all of that. I got all of those tips from Akbar. I hope y'all did as well. And I hope in some way this latest podcast was as inspirational for you as it was for me, because it reminded me of what I went through when I was an intern. It reminded me what I went through when I first got started in this business. It reminded me what I went through when I lost my job at ESPN and then ultimately got it back a couple of years later. It reminded me of some of the things that I go through now, even as I've made it, even as it's okay for me to say I've made it. I'm not stopping. That's just not who I am. I'm a warrior for my dreams. And I'm going to always be a warrior for my dreams. What about you? Think about that. As always, thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Look for it. Anywhere you can find your podcast, you'll find me there. And remember, although you'll see me on TV doing sports most of the time, remember what I always tell you. You don't have to know sports to know mercy. Peace and love, everybody. Till next time. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts. Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre-order. I have signed these books, just so you know. So you can visit straightshooterbook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams. So go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir, straightshooterbook.com. Don't wait. It's entitled Straight Shooter. Check it out. Don't miss it.